The following message was preached at Gospel City Church, a church that seeks to cast a gospel net for the people of Kuala Lumpur. Good morning, everyone. Um, let's uh, do this. Uh, uh, grab your Bible. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand. Uh, ushers uh, will really quickly run to you and hand you a copy of the Bible, which you can keep as a gift from us. Anyone? Everyone has your Bible? Okay. Yeah, just for, for, for context and for everyone who are uh, just visiting uh, GCC and not familiar with us, we read from, in GCC, we read from the ESV, the English Standard Version. All right. So if you have an electronic Bible, switch to the ESV. Uh, uh, you, you will be able to follow the verses uh, in unison with uh, the rest of the congregation. Okay, good morning. Um, let's, let's uh, yes, oh yeah, I was told to remove this. Thank you. It'd be awkward to remove it halfway and then you would decide to keep it on the whole time. Okay, okay, today let's open your Bible to uh, Ephesians chapter 6 was we are going to read verse 1 to 4. We read, pray, and then we will move on with the message. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 to 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Four verses. Let us pray. Father, we ask you come and prepare our hearts. Our ears can hear, but our hearts need to hear. Lord, as David prays for you to grant us a heart of flesh, Lord, mold our heart to open up, to listen, the ears of our heart, to listen and to understand your instructions for us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in our sermon series on Ephesians so far, uh, we've learned that uh, chapter 1 to 3 are Paul's outlining of what God has done to save his people and create a new people, a new society made out of Jews and Gentiles. We also learned so far uh, in that chapter 4 and 5, you know, which we have covered in the last couple of weeks, are Paul's instructions on how the church should live in light of their new position in Christ. Uh, we continue today into chapter 6 and will run the next few weeks to conclusion of the entire book of Ephesians. What we do yet today is an extension of the instructions in chapter three, uh, in chapter four and five, on the other roles we have in as Christians or in a society. So our calling into union with Christ reshapes our lives. It doesn't remove us from our earthly responsibilities. All of us are children of parents. Some of us are parents of children and some of us will be some of us may not but we all the message is still for all of us one of the most basic dynamics in uh, god's new society 
is the love for authority and the willingness to humbly submit. Submission is an evidence of being filled with the Spirit. Uh, we covered that in the last two sermons. Both Chad and Chris helped us understand the specific instructions on how to walk, not as unwise, but as wise, to be filled with the Spirit, who will enable us to live in submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, not because the person deserves our submission. It is an obedient response to our calling as a new creation in Christ. But the idea of mutual submission is very popular today, right? The total removal of a hierarchy within the church or family or anywhere else is driven by this egalitarian idea that prevailed very much today. Equal rights. However, when we read Paul's explanation on what he means by submitting to one another, he means that we should submit to others according to the order and authority structures established by God. Christ, uh, Chris, Chris, Christ, I read. Oh my goodness. Oh, Chris, my eyesight. As, as I was preparing this text, I said, I better not read it because I was running the script through my, my own mind and said, Chris made this an explicit point in his message last week, delivering a message from Christ, right? <laughs> okay, well, this morning we're going we're gonna to go through the second part of three parts in Ephesians uh, from verse, chapter 5, verse 22 to chapter 6, verse 9, uh, called, uh, commentary, commentators call it the household code. The household code is about a relationship within the household, husband and wife, last week, today, parent and child, and next week, Carl will lead us on the relationship of slave and masters. So being filled with the Spirit means we actually live as Christians, that our Christianity actually has an impact on our relationships. So in His kindness, God shows us what it looks like to live as Christians in our families. Spirit-filled submission happens first and foremost in one's house. Chris ended his sermon with a quote last week, Spirit-filled, Christ-exalting marriage displays the gospel to the world. So this morning, we're going to look at the parent-child relationship on the, in the four verses we just read. And in this new society of God's people, God has instructions for children in verse 1 to 3 and instructions for parents in verse 4. This will be the two sections of our message this morning. So let's start with the instructions to children. In verses 1 to 3, Paul gives children one basic instruction, followed by some reasons for it. Paul addresses children as well as parents because he knows the whole family will be present in the public gathering in the church when the letter was to be read. Children will be in the room when the church gathers to worship God and hear this letter read. That's, that's real wisdom in us having Sunday school, kids' church, like the one we have in the other room. But children, as soon as possible, should be in worship and hearing the word taught. That's something the elders discuss 
uh, in a very recent uh, meeting last week about what time, at what stage, uh, do we need to encourage the kids to stay back and listen to God's word from the pulpit. So this was certainly Paul's assumption as he addressed children directly in his uh, letter to the church. What did Paul say to the ch that the children should do? Obey your parents. In other passages, Paul says that, you know, he wrote in Romans, also he wrote in Timothy, 2 Timothy, he says that disobedient to parents is a sign of depravity and a sign of evil of the last days. So that's really contrasting, right? So our society's tolerance of disobedience among children, even in church and often in family, is a quick it's a sign, possible sign of a quick spiral downward. Paul gave three grounds, three reasons for the obedience of children in a Christian home. Again, quick, helpful reminder, the letter of Ephesians was written to Christians. Everyone who listened to the message were believers, and uh, the message is for Christians. Uh, we will deal with it. What if you were in a Christian, you're a child, in a, in a family that your parents are not Christians, there are different ways of dealing with it. But specifically, if you're a Christian, the message is for you. Paul gave three grounds uh, for the obedience of children in Christian home. To obey because of nature, one. Obey because of the law. And obey because of the gospel. So obey because of nature. The first reason is nature of natural law. Or because it's the way God created things to work. This is found in the phrase, for this is right. In verse 1. There doesn't necessarily need to be a special revelation for us to know that this is right. The principles of what is right, children obeying their parents, isn't confined to Christianity. In Paul's days and hours, all cultures, ethnic, ethnic, religious, or even pagan culture, require children to obey their parents. It is, the, it is the way children need to be brought out of safety, protection, for them to survive, to live on. All civilizations, all civilizations see this as a key part of maintaining a stable society. It is not controversial. It is naturally right. So the first point is simple. It's just right, right? It's natural. Now, second point is be obey because of the law. Now, we're going to dwell a little bit more because when it comes to the law, we have to read God's word and go back to the Old Testament and a lot more references, trying to understand the reason for obedience that Paul is calling for is because of the law. Uh, so the point about the, the law, as in the Old Testament law, uh, we see in verses 2 and 3, Paul quotes the fifth commandment from Exodus. Children should obey their parents because God says so. This commandment is considered one of the horizontal commandments as it has to do with our earthly relationship. The Hebrew society believed that this commandment was part of their duty to God himself. So it's... it's law that they need to obey because it is God's ordained uh, law. In other words, 
The fifth commandment tells us to honor our parents because in doing so, we're acknowledging God, the God-given authority they have in our lives. All of us are children, so this, this instruction is for all of us. As children, our parents represent God to us in the Christian family, qualify that. They mediate his love and authority to us. So when we honor them, we are honoring God himself. Now, the Old Testament gives, gives us many imperatives on how children are to honor their parents and strong warning about consequences of God's judgment when these imperatives are violated. Now, if you quickly open your Bible to Leviticus chapter 19, yeah, I will point to the verse of chapter 19 and 20 to all of us. You open to Leviticus first. Because God delegated some of his authority to parents, he required obedience from children. Reverence for parents was seen as a way to reverence God. Now, Leviticus 19, verse 1, 2, and 3, the three verses. Let me read. I hope you have it with you. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbath. I am the Lord your God. So it's a command of, from God. Now move on, further on, there are other passages in the Old Testament. God said that it will be, there will be great consequence for a child who despised their parents' authority. You move to chapter 20 in Leviticus, verse 9. Let me read. Chapter 20, verse 9. For anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. And next one, the last one I promise, is Deuteronomy. Verse chapter 21, verse 18 to 21. Because when it comes to understanding the law and instructions have consequence. A law, a requirement has consequence. So the, and in the Old Testament, it's recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 18 to 21. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son, who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them. Then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of, the, of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Now, Paul, no doubt, when he was writing to Ephesians, based his teachings on the Old Testament. In verse 3, he, he quoted the uh, Mosaic law. But instead of focusing on the warnings in scriptures, he presented God's command with a promise. 
So he was shifting. I mean, the warning was quite clear. People who understood the Old Testament understood this, but he was focusing the mind and the hearts of the Ephesians church with the promise rather than the threats that we just read. But I do not want to skip it for the, the law has consequences and it's, it's stated in God's word for a purpose, for a reason. So, but the, the promise here in, uh, chapter, in, in verse, chapter 6, verse 2 and 3, the promise is about prosperity, that you may go well, that it may go well with you, and long life, that you may live long in the land. So we need to deal with this, right? So in the Old Testament, God's blessings toward his people were closely tied to the promised land. About safety, security, health, harvest, and prosperity in general, when they enter the promised land. But with the coming of Christ, things change for us as Christians. If you turn back to verse 2 and 3, you will notice that uh, Paul used the scriptures from Exodus to emphasize the importance and blessings that come along with the command for children to obey and honor their parents. What does Paul mean when he says that children who obey their parents will live long in the land? What We have to be careful when reading this literally because there are young people who loved and obeyed their parents and died young. The context of this promise is important. All right, So the promise of long life in the land was given to the Israelites at a the time they have yet to enter the promised land. This is, that's why you notice in verse 2 and 3, the, the quotation that uh, Paul wrote, they was in quote, quote re referring to the specific uh, mosaic uh, law that was in the Old Testament. He was quoting it to emphasize the importance of honor and obedience. The promised land is faded in our view, right? We, we, we are not waiting to enter the promised land in Israel. God's people are now in every corners of the world. We are an international community of Gentiles, right? So, so we have to read in context verse 2 and 3 and understand John Stott uh, in his uh, reading Ephesians with John Stott, that he, he, interpreted, he offers a way to interpret this. He says, probably we should interpret this in general rather than individual terms then what is promised is not so much long life to each child who obeys his parents as social stability to any wait hang on why am i lost okay Okay, uh, so let me start. John Stott offers this, this quote. I'll read from his uh, book. Probably we should interpret this in general rather than individual terms, that what is promised is not so much long life to each child who obeys his parents as, as social stability to any community in which children honor their parents. So certainly, he quotes, I quote from him, certainly a healthy society is inconceivable without a strong family life. Right. 
A, a culture where parental authority is respected is a culture of life and peace and blessings. A culture where parents are viewed with disdain or suspicion or contempt is a culture of strife, conflict, and unrest. So, I, however, we may need, we may not need to overgeneralize this promise, as as John was uh, John Stott was uh, using it as a general term, because what I want to focus on is the verse that we just read in in Ephesians. Paul says to the children who obey their parents that it will go well with you, and that you will live in long in the land. My focusing is not the living long. It's not focusing on uh, uh, going well, but the specific words were with you and that you will live long in the land. So even though children who receive this letter are Gentiles, non-Jews, and the references were specific to the promised land, which is not relevant to them, it does not make this promise void or irrelevant to the new believing children or to us for that matter. God doesn't make promises flippantly. It is safe to accept that there are blessings for children who honor their parents. That's the point I want us to focus on when we read these few verses. So talking about um, obedience, should children obey all the time? First, is the command to obey our parents unconditional? In other words, should we obey them no matter what? No, we shouldn't. Just as wives, Chris reminded us, shouldn't obey, shouldn't submit to a husband who is abusive or one who asks her to sin. So children should not obey parents who are asking them to sin. One of the trickiest ways this plays out is when a child from an unbelieving family is converted and wants to be baptized but the parents forbid it. In this case, it seems wise for the child to not defy their parents' authority and be baptized. Baptism can and probably should wait until the child is older. When the child reaches the age of independence, they can then be baptized. But if the same parent tell the child not to follow or worship Christ, the child must disobey. Jesus probably had this kind of situation in mind when he said that parents and children would be opposed to one another because of him. In Matthew chapter 10, yeah? It's a really stressful passage where talking about children uh, and parents and, and uh, to actually, for, for children who do not, who obey their parents over God to be destroyed. <laughs> So, so in, in such a situation, our loyalty, Christ has left it for us. It, our loyalty must be to Christ first. Children must follow Christ first, not their parents. When I first became a Christian at age 13, I told my parents. Uh, the response was, you're still too young. Whatever you do, just don't get baptized. To them, I, I told them I accepted Christ, I'm a Christian. He said, no, you're not baptized, you're not a Christian. So there was a denial. And, uh, and to them, as long as I was not baptized, I'm not a Christian yet. That's, that's the, the mindset they have. My younger brother, a year younger than me, actually 10 months younger than me, uh, also became a Christian a few months later. His life turned 180 degrees from a misbehaving 
difficult teenager to a well-behaved and responsible son. Two years later, I was still a teenager. My brother, younger than me, was still a teenager. My parents attended his baptism when he was still way too young in their minds, two years earlier, right? So God changed uh, him and the life, the changed life actually changed my parents' mind and acceptance of our own decision of faith, okay? So um, the other question that comes to mind when it comes to obedience because of law, is the other question is that, does a child have to obey their parents as long as they live? I am 58. My mom is still alive at 83. Am I still to obey her? Is Paul only talking about those who still live at home, children who are still living at home, or all children everywhere, no matter how old they are? There are some cultures that require children to obey their parents as long as their parents are alive. There are some. In many Western countries, uh, children become adult legally at the age of 18. In Malaysia, the age is 21. Yeah? Normally, we say that children become, I would say, norm, normally I would say children become adults when they have their own income and are financially independent of their parents. Right? So, so, but that independence, the question is that, do you then, are you free from the command to obey? Are you free from the command to honor? This verse does not address this question directly. However, since Paul refers to the raising of children in verse 4, it seems fair to say that there is, there is a, there is an assumption here that children should obey their parents as long as they are under their care. You can be 18, 19, you're still under the parents' care, or 21, still under the parents' care, dependent on them. I think it should be using that as a principle and rather than looking for an absolute 18 or 21, I'm a doubt today, I don't have to obey you tomorrow, right? Uh, but I, I think period, uh, those who are of age should be given freedom to make a lot of their own decisions. Uh, but we need to be mindful of God's word uh, while we are free to make decisions. Uh, but we need to still respect the house rules of the parents if we are living with them. So far, we focus on the command of obey, right? In addition, Paul actually says, honor your father and mother. This is the part that if you are like me, 58, my mom is 83, I don't, I, I'm not, I don't believe I need to obey her, but I am definitely called to honor her. We must not miss the first word in verse 2. Children are commanded to honor their parents even when we are not under their authority, even if we don't live in their house, even we are not under obligation, we are not under obligation to obey them, even if we have our own families, my own children, but we are still obliged to honor our parents. Some of us adults struggle with this. Right? We assume we can live our lives completely independent of our parents. We may speak rudely of them, like we did when we were teenagers. We think that their ways are old-fashioned and outdated, cultural uh, disconnect. 
Even music, disagreement on music can cause strife between children and parents. Uh, so we are hesitant to seek our parents for counsel, to listen carefully to their advice or to really want to talk to them much at all. Uh, one of the most glaring ways we dishonor our parents uh, these days is by failing to take care of them in their old age. Uh, I think many in this congregation are not at that stage yet, but, but we will be one day, right? Uh, several months ago, uh, I stood here, I preached a, a message from First Timothy, and I was able to go back to my own notes, and I'm going to quote from that piece of uh, sermon notes. Uh, our society views the elder parents as being a bother and inconvenience in our life plans. The Bible says that it pleases God when children and grandchildren practice piety by making some return to their parents in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 4. Even if an elderly parent must be put in a nursing facility, the children should not abandon them. Even if their minds no longer function properly, they still deserve their children's loving care and respect. So that's the quote from my old message. But I'll move on. There are no doubts there will be times when we simply cannot care for our parents anymore and when they need specialized medical care. Um, that's, but there's no excuse why our mothers or fathers in assisted living centers do not have children visiting them. As Christians' children, uh, I hope the message today will plant into your heart what God calls you to do to honor your parents. You've got to remember their loneliness, despair, sadness, hopelessness is a result in large because of a failure to honor them and doing after they've taken doing hard, hard work to take care of us. So if this reminder convicts you or, or uh, awakens you as you lead your years, coming years to the point where this is a real decision in your life, uh, I hope that you rethink and start preparing your approach to caring for your parents. For younger members who are, you need to start thinking you know, about how to care for your mom and dad. And uh, Sue and I uh, discussed this subject with Patrick and Clarice uh, uh, last week uh, when we were going through the premarital counseling on the chapter on, on parents, the, you know, how to get the two parents together. Honoring father and mother is commanded by God and is therefore part of our Christian's, Christian duty. Now, that's a long section on about obeying because of the law. The law, I hope, going back to the Old Testament, we get the basis of how God designs an intense uh, relationship between children and parents to be. But now, I, so what we want to go now is to the third point, the third ground that Paul uh, gave of reasons that he gave behind the command for children to obey their parents. The third reason is the gospel. He alludes to this in verse 1 when he says, children obey your parents in the Lord. Yeah, For this is right. And, yeah, for this is right. So the focus now is in the Lord. Paul says that children should obey their parents because of their relationship with Jesus Christ. Obedience to parents is what those in the Lord do. Those in Christ 
we are all, uh, those in Christ are given the Spirit of Christ who helps them become more Christ-like even in their relationship with their parents. Now, the model we can look at is Jesus. Jesus, at 12 years old, went to the temple, stayed behind, taught, was teaching in the temple. But when Mary and Joseph found Jesus teaching in the temple, he submitted, went down with them, and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Now, this is a this is, a, this is God, right? In the temple, have full knowledge and was teaching in the temple. But when his earthly parents came, Joseph and Mary, he submit, he followed them and was submissive to them. Children who know Jesus are called to obey their parents because they can be like Jesus who obeyed his parents. So that's Verse 1, 2, 3, for children. We move next to the instructions for parents. I am a parent. In verse 4, we see the instructions for parents. Now, though the verse is addressed to fathers, uh, it applies to both parents. Paul said that children should obey their parents, in plural, in verse 1, and that both father and mother should be honored in verse 2. Now, moving to verse three, uh, verse four, he says fathers, right? But, but I want us to, again, uh, rely on the Old Testament and God's word on what God expects when it comes to teaching. God calls children to obey and honor their parents, both father and mother, because they both exercise responsibility to raise, instruct, and teach their parents. It's not the exclusive duty or responsibility of the father, the mother is not excused from it. And so we go to Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teachings. And Proverbs 6, verse 20. My son, keep your father's commandment, and, not, and forsake not your mother's teaching. So while both parents clearly is expected to teach and raising their children, I think Paul addressed fathers specifically in verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 6, specifically to remind them that they have a special responsibility in the raising of their children. We learned last week that uh, wives are to submit to their own husband, own husband, yeah? not to men, submit to their own husband in accordance to God's ordained order in the family. By God's design, it is primarily, it's the primary responsibility, not the sole responsibility of the father to administer discipline and instruction in the home. So teachings are the duty and that parents are called to, father and mother. But there is a primary accountability that God expects of fathers. Paul gives two rules to parents. I use parents, not father, because it's about teaching. Yeah? Uh, one is a negative and the other is a positive. The first negative one, he says that they should not provoke their children to anger. Fathers or parents are especially told to not provoke or incite or rouse or elicit anger in their parents. 
What does this mean? Uh, in our discussion on Monday, uh, uh, Chad raised an important question. Does it mean that we should avoid raising anger in our children at all costs and say yes to everything they want? That, that's the question and dilemma, right? Obviously, many things parents say to their children will make them angry. We have a sin nature that if I don't get my way, anger comes out quite easily, right? But uh, avoiding children's anger at all costs is not a good parenting model. House rules, correction, and the discipline process are most likely going to cause a child to be angry. But it's, it's not the same as a parent or, or father or mother who belittles their children in the process, right? This commands means that parents should not use excessively severe discipline, make unreasonably harsh demands, abuse their authority, be unfair, show favoritism, constantly nag or humiliate the children. Now behind Paul's command here is the recognition that children are persons in their own right. They are little people made in the image of God, adopted as sons of God, just like you. So if you're a parent, I'm reminded that Adam is an adopted son of God, just as I am. And he is God's charge to me over the years that I have authority over him. And uh, knowing and recognizing that design of order will help me refrain myself from provoking and belittling and humiliating him. Uh, seeing my son and my children as create, as creature in the image of God will set my heart to recognize and honor the commands that I was reading today. But there is, that's what you are not to do. But there is a second command for parents, instructions. Uh, the, in the first, we are told what not to do. But now, we look at the positive instructions of what they should do what we who are though for those who are parents and those who are going to be parents what you should do what you should do is to bring them up in the discipline and instructions of the law uh, the verb bring them up uh, in the same it's the same greek word used uh, last week when chris uh, talking about nourishing uh, the, the the husband who nourishes the wife uh, taking care of his body, the way he, he should take care of wives as the way he takes care of his own body. It's the same uh, Greek word. So the idea that it refers to tender, loving, intention to raise a child. So being a strict tyrant isn't God's way and isn't going to work because it won't change the child's heart. There's no nourishment. It doesn't bring them up, but it does not negate discipline. Paul explicitly says that there should be discipline or training. The discipline is to be dispensed 
with the goal of nourishing the child to grow in the Lord. The instructions are to be given with the goal of directing the heart of the child to see the glory of God. Our children aren't going to, aren't going to grow into responsible, God-fearing adults if we take a hands-off approach. Um, one of the most fundamental things that means that this means is that uh, we must learn to say no and to answer uh, even though they're going to get angry. Yeah, we have to say no. Giving them everything they want and putting no boundaries around their lives is going to destroy them. So we go back to the Old Testament again for parenting principles. Um, Proverbs, you, you, are, you have Proverbs open already. Let's listen to the wisdom of Solomon in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who hates him is diligent to discipline him. In Proverbs 23, verse 13 to 14, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. And lastly, I'll read one more from Proverbs, Proverbs 29, 15 and 17. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Discipline your child. He will give you rest. He will delight in your heart. The command from Solomon and the wisdom from Solomon is quite clear about the need for discipline. Disciplining our children is sparing them from the pain and misery that will lead to their and our own joy. Like some of you, like, like, like me, some of you may have passed the age of disciplining your children. But many of you who are expecting children in your years, I encourage you to set your mind on the message today and prepare that God will guide you use you to guide and bless the lives of your children with discipline and instruction. Resolve now to raise them in a way that pleases God. Uh, I think the, uh, I'll share this, the elders uh, in last, last meeting also discussed uh, in addition to premarital counseling, uh, which we have as a module, uh, there is going to be a need, likely to going to be a need for parenting module as part of our discipleship and our mentoring program for young families. And we see the need on the of many young families expecting baby and children coming. So that's something very preparing. So resolving how to equip yourselves to contend with our culture drift towards a false narrative that spanking your children is the same as child abuse. Um, that's something we need to prepare because God's word is quite clear. Not instructing you to spank your child, but to say to not be averse to disciplining them. Just as a show of hands, just to how many of you grew up having been spanked? Okay. And thank you. And I submit that we all grew up not too bad. Right? So take comfort in your brothers and sisters in GCC who grew up well despite being spanked. All right? Uh, 
So we must teach our children about God, His Word and His ways. We must help them see God's glory in every inch of the world. All discipline and instructions are to be of the Lord with a clear vision of God-centered living. I hope when we, when you, need to, call to, spank or discipline your children, you do it with this heart attitude that you are directing them to see God. Uh, as we come to the end of our message today, can I encourage you to open, turn to Hebrews chapter 12? This is a uh, passage of scripture that explains the reason and purpose for discipline. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 to 11. I, I, as I was preparing for this message, I found this passage to be really helpful to understand why God says discipline is necessary. Chapter 12, Hebrews, verse 5. Let me read 5 to 12. Yeah? And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had, uh, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and who respected them. And we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For, the, for they discipline us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good, that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So from an earthly perspective, discipline is always painful when it comes. However, God's discipline always has great purpose in cultivating God's fruit in the lives of His children. To those who have been trained and have learned from God's discipline, the greatest fruit is righteousness. We read it in the verse. The discipline of God is perfect and always perfectly done for the good of His children during their entire life on earth and the purpose of God's discipline is always to grow his children in his likeness until they are one day eternally glorified in Christ. Parents are delegated a responsibility by God to discipline and instruct children under their care. Fathers have specific accountability to God over this duty. The purpose of parental discipline is I want us to remember this. The purpose of parental discipline is to grow our children in Christ's likeness. So in summary, Paul urges children to obey their parents because it is right, it is commanded, and it is part of their responsibility as Christians as a response to the gospel. And he urges parents not to provoke their children, to not discourage them, but to rather raise them up in the discipline and instructions of the Lord. In contrast to 
the norms of Paul's day and ours, fathers especially, must be gentle and patient disciplinists and teachers of their children. They must care for their children as God cares for His. They must love their children as God loves His. Now, to conclude, let us uh, consider Paul's exhortation to the Ephesians going back to chapter 1. This is the basis of the entire letter of uh, Ephesians. Chapter 1, verse 5 to 10. Let me read. Chapter 1, verse 5 to 10. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of, for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. We will fail as children, not obedient, and dishonoring. We will also fail as parents, allowing our sin to justify provoking our children and abandoning our responsibility to discipline and instruct them. But we are not left alone to handle these challenges and failures. The verses that we just read points to God's glorious grace adopting us as sons and redeeming us through Christ's blood. The triune God is at work in our life to lavish upon us wisdom and insight to obey and know him. And in the fullness of time, we will be united with him. In the Trinity, we have the Son who loves and honors the Father perfectly, and the Father who never provokes, provokes to anger and knows how to discipline and instruct, and the Spirit who empowers us all. So let the regenerating work of the Spirit transform us, humbling us to submit to God's purpose, changing us to live as children and parents He meant us to be. Our sanctification shall lead, lead to real heart changes rather than mere external conformity. Recognize the Holy Spirit's role in changing hearts to reshape our priorities, that our obedience and honor to our parents, and the disciplining of our children be our gracious obedience to the Spirit who empowers us to live lives for Christ. Spirit-empowered family depends on God. Then let me pray uh, to close the message today. Our Father in heaven, thank you for adopting us as your sons and daughters. We pray that you will fill us with spiritual understanding of you. We ask for the Holy Spirit to move powerfully in our lives and surround us with righteous influences. Give us a thirst for your Spirit. We pray that the Spirit prepares our heart to hear and receive your word. Discipline and instruct us and help us grow to become men and women of God who share your love and mission with the world. Protect us from following our earthly kingdom and the pleasures of this world. Mold us into children who are eager to seek your kingdom first. In Jesus' name.
Thank you for listening to this message. We invite you to learn more about Gospel City Church at gospelcitychurch.my.